Thank you. Well, good morning. It's really exciting for me to be here. Uh, I have a question for you. I'm going to let Daniel get set up. I have a question for you before we get started. And the question is, what would you be willing to, to bet your life on? Now, I mean, seriously bet your life on. Like, like you'd be willing to die for this thing. I read an article, I'm going to pull it up, that these, uh, this is a secular article but they, uh, from vice.com, and they interviewed a bunch of millennials, so people around my age, uh, what they would die for, uh, and this is, this is Amy, she's 21, she says, uh, she was asked, is there something you would die for? And she says, can I be brutally honest and say no? <laughs> and then a little later on, um, what would you die for, uh, Michael? He's 27. He said, like, a material thing? Oh, I'd definitely die for a yacht. <laughs> and then he wouldn't be able to use the yacht, which doesn't make sense for me. But um, he, sa- he says, uh, in, in all seriousness, he would die for happiness, maybe. And then this other answer right here, uh, what would you die for? And Frank says, well, I would die to end uh, to end injustices and to end racism in this world. But the question is for you, is what would you die for? What, what, what would you lay your life down for? My name is Joey Bates, as, as Daniel said. Um, I'm, I'm one of the pastors with the Orchard family, and, and I'm so excited uh, to see you guys today, to be here with y'all. And let me just say that out of all the things that you could be doing on this cold snowy a little bit, Sunday morning, the fact that you guys decided to come worship here at Soma, uh, we, we take that as a huge honor. Hope you've been made to feel welcome. Hope you've gotten some coffee, some water, uh, shaking a friendly hand, maybe giving a friendly hug. Uh, but we're going to dive into the Bible this morning in Romans chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles or a device that you read on and you want to go to that, Romans chapter 1 verses 16 and 17. If you don't have a Bible, if you didn't bring one with you and you'd like to read along, we have some in the back in both Spanish and English. Feel free to grab one of those Bibles, come back to your seat. You can read it, you can mark in it, you can circle, you can write your grocery list for later in it. Whatever, whatever way you want to use it, you feel free to use it. Um, and if you don't own a Bible, if you don't have one that you can read or understand, we want you to take this Bible with you as our free gift. Uh, We believe that the Bible contains the words of life. It's the word of God. And by reading it daily, not just on Sunday mornings or on Wednesday nights or or in small group, but by reading it daily, by communing with God and through the scriptures, we believe that that life change will happen. So if this Bible will help you on your journey, please take it with you as our free gift to you. So Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. This is Paul writing. He says, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, first the Jew and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. And as the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person person has life. Before we go any further, I want us to pray together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word that we get to open up this morning. God, I pray that as we open it, 
it begins to open us. And, and as our eyes see uh, these words and take them in, God, I pray that you, that you actually reveal to us who we are called to be. God, that we will leave here not as we came in, but we will leave here changed, looking more like your son, Jesus. Because that is what this world needs. So God, today will you speak to us? Would it be a quiet whisper? I've always heard it say that God shouts at his enemies, but he whispers to his friends. And so God, would you whisper to us this morning? Thank you so much, Holy Spirit, for being here in the room. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Romans is the longest letter Paul writes. It is, it is, it is in the very, Paul's letters are arranged in the Bible in order from, uh, based on length. So it's not order of importance, but it's based on length. And Romans is at the very front right behind Acts because it is the longest letter. And, and in it, it's, 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 it's his masterpiece, I would say. It's his, it's his magnum opus, if you want to use that word. It is, it is the place where he lays out in detail the theological, the the, the nature of God, the intricacies of his nature, and where we find ourselves in him. Ro- Romans is, Paul's, uh, is where Paul writes these things that, that we often quote a lot that we see on Facebook or on Twitter or on Instagram. Uh, we see these quotes like, well, I'm no longer a slave to sin, but I'm a child of God. That's in the book of Romans. Or, or if you back up from, that's in Romans 8, but if you back up to Romans 7, well, I do what I don't want to do, and, I, and what I don't want to do, I actually do. But there is no condemnation. Because as I just said, we are made sons and daughters of God. And because we're made sons and daughters of God, we ought to live as living sacrifices. That's all in the book of Romans. This, this rich, rich theological, this, this, this rich na- uh, letter on the nature of God. This is all in the book of Romans. I I know that you're going to go home and read it this afternoon, so I don't want to spoil the whole thing, but it is phenomenal. And all those verses are important. All those things that we talked about are, are important, but I would argue that it's not the focal point of the letter, that it's not the, the foundational piece of the letter. Um, I, I would argue what we just read for I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work for saving everyone who believes first to the Gentile and then, or first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. This is the good news about how God makes us right in His sight. I believe this statement right here, these two verses, is the focal point, the foundation, the thesis statement for the whole letter of Romans. And I think you could take it a step further and say this is the thesis statement for all of Paul's writings. For the gospel is the power of God at work in our lives. And if not just his writings, I believe it's the thesis statement for his life. The power of God at work. So we're first introduced to Paul um, in Acts chapter 7. So the end of so if you turn back in your Bibles to Acts chapter 7, we're not going to go there, uh, but I will tell the story. At the end of Acts chapter 7, the beginning of Acts chapter 8, we're introduced to this man named Saul. And he'd later, later become Paul, but right now he's Saul. And, and we're introduced to him as, as, as this, I guess if you're watching a movie, he's kind of like the main villain coming into the forefront. So, he, so he's a witness to the first Christian martyr, He's a witness to the stoning of Stephen, and the interesting part, the intriguing part about that passage is that it says that 
As Stephen is stoned, Paul approved, or Saul approved of it. He enjoyed it. He, he, he said, this is right. This, this murder of this man, this stoning, this is actually what I feel like I need to do in my life. So Saul goes on this rampage where he's, he, he finds out where all the Christians live and he goes into their home and he rips them out of their home and he, he imprisons them. He's ripping spouse from spouse, parent from child, and he imprisons them to later be killed. And you know what the craziest part about it is? Is he is so passionate about this devastation is that it can be called his calling. I mean, it, this is the main villain we're being introduced to. I mean, this is Darth Vader. <laughs> or I guess like now, this is Thanos, right? And Paul has this mission where if he could, with the snap of his fingers, he would wipe out the Jesus movement once and for all for good. He is the villain. So a couple chapters later in Acts chapter 9, he decides that his rampage, his war path, should spread beyond Jerusalem. Why, why stop in Jerusalem? If there are Christians out there, if, Christ, if Christianity is spreading all over the world, I should go find them and I should deal with them. So he approaches the high priest, because he, Paul himself, or Saul himself, is a Pharisee. So he has this kind of authority. So he approaches the high priest, and he says, hey, give me permission uh, to go to Damascus, which is right down the road. I'm going to go to Damascus. I'm going to go to those synagogues that are there. I'm going to find the Christians. I'm going to pull them out. And I'm going to bring them back here for imprisonment. And then we can kill them. The high priest is like, good deal, man. Here your, here's your permission letters. Go do it. So Saul starts on, out on this journey towards Damascus. With, with red in his eyes, and he's ready to face what he's been doing in all of Jerusalem. But as he approaches his destination, he didn't know, but destiny was about to interrupt his story. He, he's blinded by this light. This light shows up, and he's blinded, and Saul falls to the ground. And he hears this voice fill his ears, and this voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why, why are you persecuting me? And, and Saul, on the ground, asked probably one of the only questions that we would all ask, and that's, well, who are you, Lord? Who are you? And the voice responds, I'm getting chills thinking about it, and the voice responds, I am Jesus. <laughs> I am Jesus. And you don't know what your life's going to be, but I'm going to ask you to get up and just go into the city and you'll be told what to do. Get up, go into Damascus, and you'll be told what to do. So Saul gets up, he's, he's disoriented, and then he realizes that he's blind. He's been blinded by this light. He's been blinded by the glory of God. But as his eyes can't see, the true blindness that was revealed was that which was, was his heart. He gets up and he, and he realizes he's blind in his eyes. But this encounter has changed him. So he decides to be obedient. And, and a quick aside, I, I wonder, as I, as I read through that this, this past week, I began to wonder when, 
when, later on when Paul would write to the Corinthians, the church in Corinth, and, and he would write, for I walk by faith and not by sight. I wonder if you'd ever go back to that moment and remember. Remember when you were first called? Remember when you first met Jesus? and you were blinded, literally, and you're forced to be obedient and walk by faith and not by sight into the city of Damascus, full of people that you had planned on killing. I wonder if Paul remembered that. So anyway, during this time, Jesus also comes to a man named Ananias, and, and he's, a, he's a Christian in Damascus, and Jesus says to him, hey, this guy named Saul's coming. And he's been a bad guy. I'm sure you know of him. He's been killing Christians. But I, I need you to take him in, and I need you to heal him, and I need you to bring him into the fold. So Ananias, after a little bit, is, is also obedient. So he goes and meets Paul, or Saul at this point. Sorry, I keep saying that. But. So he meets Saul. He heals him. And Saul is baptized in that moment, or in, the, in that house. It's, it's a beautiful redemption story when, when you think about it. It's a story that if you've grown up in church, you've heard. But I think when we really break it down and realize how bad of a man Saul was, and we see that Jesus interrupts his story and decides to use him for, for big things, for grand things, we feel the weight of maybe all the things that we've done in our past and how Jesus desires to do the same exact thing with us. That whatever destination we're on, whatever, whatever journey we're on, whatever destination we're nearing, Jesus decides to interrupt our story with that same destiny and say, hey, I have a calling for you too. So Saul has changed. He's, he, he's completely changed, and this is where his, his name changes to Paul. Um, and we see here that the villain of the story has actually become a hero. He, he go, he decides, he's not the hero, obviously, but he becomes a hero, and he, and he goes out from that moment, and, and his, his, his power, his influence doesn't change, but what it's done is it's come up under the authority of Jesus because Jesus desires um, to not change, our, not change our giftings, not change our talents, not change our influences, but instead use them under his power and authority. So Saul was using his power and authority to go and find Christians and kill them. But now, using that same power and influence, instead of killing Christians, he's now called to make more. You see, Saul was a Jew. He was a Jew, he was a Jew by birth. Um, he, 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 he would memorize all the Hebrew scriptures. He was well-versed in the prophets. He would know creation, uh, the, sto the story of Adam and Eve, their, their sons, Cain and Abel. He would know Noah. He, he would know all the way to the Tower of Babel. He would know the call of Abraham. He'd be well-versed in the prophets. He'd be, he'd be forced to memorize, as a young boy, all of the Hebrew scriptures. But see, Saul also had another thing that God would use. And this is why in Acts 9, when Jesus comes to Ananias and he says, hey, go find this man Saul because I have set him apart. I have chosen him. To be, a, uh, to be a vessel to go to all the children of Israel, to the kings, and to all the Gentile world. You see, Saul wasn't just a Jew. He was Roman-born. He was a Roman citizen. 
Now, what this meant is that he could travel all around the Roman Empire freely. He, he could go to all the places without trying to, without smuggling in or without anything like that. He could travel around freely. So think about it. He knew, he knew the Jewish custom. He knew the story of Yahweh, how, how, how he had saved his people, rescued his people out of Israel, brought them to the promised land, sent them into exile, and then redeemed them back from exile. And he also was a Roman. So when Paul writes this, this, this verse here, for it is the power of God, I'm not ashamed about the gospel, because it is the power of God at work. It is because he's experienced that power, and it saves everyone who believes, first the Jew and then the Gentile, and he is both Jew and Gentile. When Paul writes this, he feels the weight of what he's writing. He wants his readers to know, his listeners to know, that he is not just pulling this out of the air, but he is actually living this out. The same power that he writes about here is the same power that, that met him on that road to Damascus, and it is the same power that is at work with him when he writes these words. So he was a Jew, he was a Roman, and now he knew Jesus. So all the things that that he had grown up with, all of the knowledge, all of the, the gifts that he had been given were now brought in and aligned with the mission of God and his people. This, this, is, why, this is why he comes to Ananias and says, I've set him apart, because you, one, you wouldn't use a hammer for a screw, right? I hope not, it wouldn't go really well. Or you wouldn't use a fork for a soup. That also wouldn't go very well if you tried that. Paul has a very specific mission, and it's because God has desired to use his past for it. And he writes this message of Jesus saying that the gospel is the good news for everyone who believes, Jew, Gentile, and everyone in between. It is the message of Jesus that, that is uniting. It is the message of Jesus that says, you are not the sum total of your past mistakes. It is the message of Jesus that says, it doesn't matter what country you're from, what, what, what tongue you speak, what, what, it seems to be, uh, what seems to be dividing lines, it, it, that, that stuff doesn't matter. What does matter is that we can all sit around the same table and experience the love and grace of God and say, you're a son of God, I'm a son of God, she's a daughter, she's a daughter. Let's enjoy this great feast of Jesus Christ right now and take it to the world. That is the message that Paul is writing about. That is the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is not behavior modification. It is life transformation. You see, the world wants to say all these things that, that to say you are divided by ethnicity, you are divided by language, you are divided by uh, political beliefs, you are divided by all these things, but what the message of the gospel is, is, is those, those lines are not divisions, they are space for the Holy Spirit to come in, fill it up, empower us with his love, forgive us of our sins, and send us out. Now, the gospel may seem divisive at first, but what it really wants to do is divide us from our brokenness. The gospel desires to come in and scatter us from our brokenness so that we don't buy into the sinful desires that we've lived in our past. 
Because if we give in to that, if we give in to manipulation, if we give in to leverage, leveraging ourselves over others, if we give in to, to sin, if we just call it sin, what we do is, is just like you guys covered a couple weeks ago with the Tower of Babel. We begin to worship ourselves. We begin to think that we are the center of the story, that, that our image is the image. And we begin to build this idol out of ourselves. Well, Jesus has come to shatter that idol and say that, yes, you are made in the image of God, but you are not the image of God. Come, deny yourself and follow me. The divisiveness of the gospel, what's so upside down about it, is that it divides us so that it can unite us. It divides us from our brokenness so that we can see each other as we really are. It exposes our brokenness and then removes us from it so that we can see each other as sons and daughters. That is the message of Paul's gospel. That is the message of the gospel that this world needs right now. To say that all of these things that we want to build walls in between us, all of these things that we want to just shield off and, 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 and make ourselves a barrier and not worry about the rest of the world, all of those things that the world says, I'm this way and you're that way and that's just the way it is, that is all lies. The message of the gospel, as I said earlier, are those spaces, those things that are that we want to think are divisions are actually just spaces in between the table. The thing that we want to build a wall, Jesus says, I want you to build a table. And I want you to sit across from each other. And I want you to look each other in the face. That's the message that Paul is writing here. He says later um, to the Galatians, he says, For you are neither slave nor free, nor Jew or Gentile, nor male or female. For you are all one in Jesus. You are all one. What he's saying is you are a citizen of heaven first and everything else is secondary. You're a citizen of heaven first and everything else is secondary. Now that doesn't discount, just like Paul, remember, my sto remember the story, it, it, just like Paul, it doesn't discount his background. It doesn't just disvalue where he's from. It doesn't remove his past or his giftings. But what it does is it fills them with the Holy Spirit. The message of the gospel is that we are not defined by our who, <laughs> excuse me, we are not defined by what nation we're born in. We're defined by who we give our allegiance to. And the gospel says that your allegiance is to Jesus, not your nation, not an earthly king, not some uh, way the world says is right, but what Jesus says is right. Your allegiance is to Jesus first, and everything else needs to come up under that authority. When I say those words, I feel everything in my sinful self just kind of rise up, and I hope you feel that too. Because it's divisive, but it divides us to unite us. So Paul writes that to the Galatians, and I believe it's the same with us, is that it doesn't matter if we're South American, Latin American, North American, Asian, European, Indian, African, 
all the nations in all the world. All of those things are great, but we are all one in Christ. And what we should do is not say that you need to worship God this way or we need to worship God this way or that you can't worship God because of this. But what we need to do is say, hey, listen, what does Jesus say about it? Let's come up under his authority and then whatever he says about it, let's use our backgrounds, our nationalities, let's use that to further the kingdom until all the world knows, every single tribe, every single nation, let's use that until all the world knows that Jesus Christ has come in final victory, that death has been defeated, that we'll no longer live eternally separated from God, but that we'll be completely conjoined with him in the most intimate of spaces, and we will be completely one with each other and one in Christ. Because that is his prayer for us in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prays for his disciples. He prays that they may be one just as he and the Father are one. And so that is, should be our prayer prayer for each other. Not a prayer that, man, I hope they see it my way, or I don't know why they don't see it like this, or I wish they saw it differently. But our prayer should be, man, I, God, I just ask that you just make us all one as Jesus and the Father are one. That we see each other in our giftings and our talents, not as disvalued or not as a way to be, not as a way to to cast them aside, but as a way, God, how can you fill our giftings and value and talents with the Holy Spirit to use them for your kingdom. And Paul says this is all done by faith. It sounds like a great mission, and, and like I said, everything inside of me wants to say, okay, well, how do I work hard to get there? And Paul responds and says, this gospel tells us how God makes us right in his sight, and it's accomplished from start to finish by faith. From start to finish. We can have that world where we don't build walls, but we build tables, but it has to be by faith. And this faith is not passive. When Paul says, when Paul says it is accomplished by faith, when he says, I am not ashamed, he says, I'm willing to die for this. It's a lot more valuable than a yacht. <laughs> he says, I'm willing to die for this. It's not passive belief faith. It, it is actual, I'm willing to lay down my life because I believe without a shadow in my mind that this is true. I'm willing to die for this. So if you're on this journey, as I said earlier, what do you stake your life on? Are you like Paul? Have you been walking this journey? Have you been going to a certain destination? Maybe your destination is just so I will shut up and get to the end of church so y'all can get to lunch. Maybe that's your destination. Well, let this place be a Damascus Road experience for you. Because Jesus desires to come in, meet us where we are, and say, listen, I got a different calling for you. Or maybe that's already happened for you, and maybe you're someone's Ananias. Maybe, maybe, maybe in, in all of our spheres of influence, Jesus has called you to be someone's Ananias and to bring them alongside you, introduce them to the gospel, maybe baptize them. So who is it in your, in your sphere of influence? Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you put a picture of someone in, in, in every one of our minds. Who in your sphere of influence can you share the gospel with? Because what's holding you back? 
What's holding you back? The worst they can say is that they don't care. That's okay. Because our life, our feelings are not defined by what they think of us, but it's defined by a father who infinitely cares about you. Your right standing in society isn't defined by who you share the gospel with. Your right standing is, in society is, shared, uh, is, is defined by who the gospel is about, and that's Jesus Christ. It's not defined by their response to us, but we are called to be obedient and go. Not out of religious obligation, but because he cares so much. It's God's kindness that leads to repentance, right? Paul wrote that too. It's all in Romans. God's kindness leads us to repentance. And out of that kindness, we're also called to be obedient. God's not mad at you. You haven't missed the boat. He's just waiting for you to take the next step right now. That is active faith. That is the faith that the gospel, that is the faith by which the gospel is the power to move in every one of our lives. So what's holding you back? If, if you need to, if, if you want this to be a Damascus Road experience, why don't you just ask Jesus the same question Paul did and say, Jesus, who are you? I need you to show me. And if you're Ananias, if you're, if you're, looking to share the gospel with somebody, ask the Lord, God, will you just show me who it is? I'm willing to do that too. I'm willing and I'm ready. Here I am, Lord. Send me wherever you would have me. By faith. Let's pray.